Hey, this is Ashley. Hey, this is Marcy. And this is School and Life, a weekly podcast about life, love, and occasionally libations. This week in Mentor Moment, I wanted to talk to you about the two ways you can work with me as a mentor. The first is through my Mentor Me Accelerator program. It is a six-week, fast-paced, small group career development program for new and mid-level professional women. It is a program specifically designed for women who have at least two years of professional experience uh, or a year of professional experience and a year of graduate education, um, and they are looking to advance their careers in a meaningful way. The modules in the Mentor Me Accelerator focus specifically on identifying what you're good at and how to leverage what you're good at to get what you want out of your career. It includes sessions on understanding your values, understanding your strengths and weaknesses, understanding how to leverage that data to find careers, careers where you can have real impact and make more money in your industry. It also includes modules on reviewing your materials, on making sure your materials are telling the great story of who you are on paper, and then how to position yourself as a top candidate in interviews, how to negotiate a salary and other benefits on a job to make sure you're being compensated well for the value that you bring to your organization, plus a 90-day, a six-month, and a year-long career development roadmap. That's right. It includes a career development roadmap so that you can have clarity on what to do over the next year in your career to really move from where you are to where you want to be. In 2019, I've served more than 50 women through the Mentor Me Accelerator program, and I'm so proud of the milestones that these women have made. $12,000 salary increases, new jobs in brand new industries, more clarity and confidence in their career development, and moving halfway across the country. That's right. One of my mentees moved from New York to California to be closer to her family and secured a new job in her industry after job searching for months without success. I am so excited to be able to serve you through the accelerator as well. And so if that sounds like you, then you should apply today. The first step in being a part of the accelerator is for you to um, schedule a mentor moment. That's a free 20 minute call. Um, it's absolutely free. And it's an opportunity for us to hop on a call and really understand what your pain points are in your career right now and make sure that the accelerator is a good fit for you. It'll also help me understand who you are and how you're showing up in your um, career development um, journey right now so that I can know exactly um, how to make sure that I can customize the accelerator program to meet your needs. I am so excited to share that I'm accepting new mentees right now and there are three slots left in the accelerator program. So if you know you want to be a part of it, make sure you go to mentor-me.org, that's M-E-N-T-O-R-me.org and click schedule my mentor moment today. The other way that you can work with me is through the Mentor Me Mastermind. The Mastermind program is an extended program. It is a six, excuse me, it's a 10 week uh, career advancement program and it's more for mid-level and senior level professional women. This program is specifically for women who are already in middle management and have at least three to five years of professional experience. This is for the woman who feels stuck in her current career. She knows she loves the industry and wants to advance in a meaningful way, um, but wants to be more strategic about what that advancement looks like and make sure that she has the competencies to advance in this profession. The mastermind is executive coaching. It is for high achieving women and it is a career mastermind that includes topics like um, leading from where you are, centering equity and justice in your work, how to be an outstanding supervisor, um, navigating office politics and optimizing programs and services to position yourself as an expert in your industry. This program is the highest level of mentorship that I provide, and I'm accepting new mentees into the mastermind as well. This program will kick off at the top of 2021, um, and there are four slots left in the mastermind program for the top of the year. If you are a professional who has a wealth of experience, but know you need expert level mentorship to get to the next stage, and it's not about job searching or resume review for you, it's more about positioning strategy and leveraging what you have to get what you want, the mastermind is going to be a great fit.
the first step to be a part of that program is to go to my website at mentor-me.org and click on mastermind at the top of the screen. From there, you can schedule your mentor moment. It will we'll hop on a call, understand that um, and qualify you for that program. It is invite only. So you do have to go through that um, mentor moment conversation. And when, when I can qualify that you are a good fit, which is what we'll do right on that call, we'll make sure that you get a part, get to be a part of the next cohort of the program and you will get access to pre-work that you'll start right away to prepare you for being a part of the program. I am so excited to be accepting new mentees. I'm already going through withdrawal for my 2020 um, cohort and I'm excited excited to get started with orientation calls in a few weeks. So if you know that you're ready to get started, I have um, appointments available on Wednesday of this week. So schedule today at mentor-me.org. I'm looking forward to mentoring you. And now we are going to move into I digress. We gain so much of our information about who we are and who we can be through the images that are portrayed in the media. Whether it's on TV shows and movies, magazines, books, we know that representation matters. However, Black folks are often portrayed in a negative light, particularly as it relates to business or professional lives. So listen in as Ashley and I discuss images of Black professionals portrayed in the media and offer any advice for navigating how we break down those stereotypes in the real world. So Ashley, I was interested in having this conversation because as I watch more TV, I've noticed that there are so many just awful portrayals of Black folks in these professional roles. And I was particularly um, noticing this while watching an episode of This Is Us recently and just looking at um, Randall going through this process, spoiler alert, of finding a new therapist and just having a really strong reaction to how those therapists were portrayed. And even though y'all know I have lots to say about therapists being portrayed on TV, it was particularly poignant that these were professionals, not just therapists. And so I'm curious to know, like, how do you generally see Black professionals portrayed in the media? I think that there's a problem with how all professionals are portrayed in the media, but particularly for Black folk and particularly for Black women, um, I think that it's either we are the boss, we are the pencil skirt wearing, flowy blouse, long hair, you know, trench coat, briefcase, um, lipstick popping, um, you know, boss, or we're the ghetto girl with the braids and the loud clothes and the inappropriate phone calls at her desk, right? Like there's, <laughs> there's absolutely a dichotomy. <laughs> and, um, and it's laughable. It's literally laughable because most black women who work are neither like most black women who work are not coming into the office, popping gum and, have beads in their hair. And most Black women who work are also not in a three-piece suit and like, you know, whatever. Like the lawyers that I know wear jeans to work and, the, you know, and the university presidents I know, you know, sometime are like, you know, polished on top and kind of different on the bottom considering all they means are in Zoom these days, right? So for me, it's the dichotomy that is frustrating and, you know, we, we, we only get to be this or that, you know, and, you know, I think specifically for my profession, um, as an educator, there's not a ton of portrayals, <laughs> honestly, about my profession. I, I, there's so many more about yours, Marcy, for better or worse, right? But there, you know, there are lots of Black therapists or therapists in general on TV. Uh, and I know you're going to dive into the portrayals, but honestly, you know, as a, higher education administrator, there aren't a lot of, <laughs> there aren't a lot of portrayals uh, of my profession on TV, but um, there were some, um, there was a show on uh, BET. I'm not remembering the name of it, but it was like about an HBCU and they had a number of like administrators on the show. Um, and so, and it was more about the inner workings of the HBCU, not from the student perspective, but from an administrative perspective. And I, I, uh, I'll look up the, sh the, the name of the show and try to locate it so I can share it with you all. Um, but 
it was like a lot of backstabbing, a lot of backbiting, a lot of like mean girl kind of stuff and mean boy. So let me not gender it. Mean people type of stuff happening. And like, you know, uh, oh, they didn't go to HBCU. So how could they want us to, they want us to come in here. They don't understand our traditions. They want to come in here and change everything, right? That kind of energy. Um, so it was a lot of that, um, which <laughs> I think is probably accurate. You know, having, I have some limited experience working at HBCU and it was some of that going on so it wasn't completely inaccurate but there was that and then um I'm excited to share that on Grownish, uh in the last season there was um administrator Charlie was <laughs> was an administrator he was like the dean and he's a mess I mean like he was completely clueless never had any advice no strategies no support um, but it is good to just finally see my profession on TV and like at least at least some you talk about representation matters mattering. I don't know what we've been following considering we didn't even have nobody except for um who was uh who was the dean mom on um a different world? I can't remember. It was <laughs> she, she was a residence life professional, I guess. It's so funny that you mentioned her because I Loretta Devine, because I Loretta was just Divine. watching Jump in the Broom and she is yes, Loretta, <laughs> Loretta Devine. <laughs> Yeah, Loretta was our first representation on this uh, different world. So that's like really all we got. But um, but yeah, the dichotomy for me is the part that's so annoying. So Marcy, let's like talk about your profession. You know, as a therapist, there are tons of representations and they go way back. You know, um, some of the biggest things that I think about are the disclosures, right? Like there's just no, you know, the the. I don't know, therapist, patient confidentiality just completely gets blown out of the water in your profession all the time. Um, and then on the recent episode of This Is Us, as a person who's gone to therapy, the archetypes from like the person who's like super cool, dope man, da, 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 to the person who was like, I study ABCD, CVD, cognitive therapy. Da, 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 and, and it was like scary. Like, I can't wait to hear your, like, what are the archetypes and the dichotomies look like for you? Yeah, hate, like hate, hate, hate. I hated everything. That part of that episode was so cringy to me. Like I was literally sitting there like, who is ever going to go to therapy? And then you layer it on top of this telehealth thing. Oh, anyway. So yes, you're absolutely right. You even have a therapist who has absolutely no boundaries. And they're like, no, we're just going to be best friends. And this is just like you talking to a girlfriend or a guy friend. You either you are you also have the archetype that's like, I am the know-it-all therapist that is just a blank tableau and I am licensed and certified in this X, Y, and Z is talking all this jargon that the client does not understand. Or you have the person that's kind of like right in the middle that it's like, you know that this probably ain't right. Like your kid should not be hopping into your telehealth sessions. Like, I don't care. I know that it's the quarantine. I know that, you know, we have to offer grace to people. No. So it's kind of like you only kind of sort of skirt the line, but it's still like dramatized for television. Um, they very rarely. And so when I think about like the positive images, like the positive portrayal that I've seen of a Black therapist, I just have to go back to Insecure. They did such an amazing job with Molly's therapist. Oh my gosh, she was just like the perfect ideal <laughs> image that I wanted to see of a Black therapist on television because like, and there are some people who will argue with me. Like there are people out here who are trap therapists. There are people out here who like, literally her name is trap therapist and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that say more like I don't what's a trap therapist I <laughs> do not know what a trap therapist is but from what I understand is it's someone who is very like connected and in touch with being raised in the in less than ideal circumstances and can relate to her clientele in that way so it's kind of like um a means of connecting and it's a means of identifying the population that she works with from what I understand. I don't really, I haven't looked into it. I just see her in some of my therapy Facebook groups and I'm like, bet that is amazing. There's a girlfriend therapist, right? Like there are therapists who portray themselves in this way and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. What I am saying is that in the media, we are portrayed as if therapy is not a professional service. And that drives me crazy because for me personally as a psychologist, no, I'm not your girlfriend. 
no, we are not friends. And I think that when these images of like, oh, my daughter is going to pop up into the session and we're going to have a whole conversation about my background and my life, it dilutes the therapeutic experience in a lot of ways. And then people see it as, oh, we're going to come to therapy and now I'm expecting in the same way that as on social media, in the same way that we navigate in these in our everyday relationships, they expect that to be therapy. And that's not what it is. That's not to say that we don't build rapport. That's not to say that we don't have these great relationships, but I'm not your friend. I am supposed to be a different relationship for you. And so I really do think that particularly for my field, and I would say that this goes across the board, is that when people see us behaving or see these professionals behaving in a certain way on TV, they then translate that into what's supposed to be happening when they come into our offices, into our stores, into our classrooms. And it just fully takes away from that experience. Like if you come into an experience with an expectation, and I'm sure that we've all had these experiences, right? Like we've all seen something on TV and then we were like, oh, so I'm gonna go get married or I'm gonna go date this person or find this big old house or get this fancy job right after I graduate from college. And a whole lot of us have been humbled because that is not the experience of what happens right after you graduate from college. Like these the media impacts us so much. And I also think that it not only impacts our customers, it also impacts the way we are treated by other professionals, the way we are treated by managers, the way we're treated by people who are trying to collaborate with us. If you've never interacted with a therapist or you've never had, you've never interacted with an administrator and all you know is dear white people and what happens um, in that those offices, you're going to have a skewed way of interacting. And then we have to, on the other side of that, pick up the slack and try to educate people on what this is really supposed to look like. So I can go on for days about what that looks like for therapists. But have you, how do you think that these portrayals impact Black professionals in the quote unquote real world? Yeah, I think that in my profession, it's a lot of mammification, right? So it's a lot of like, oh, I'm like, I need you to take care of my kid while they're in college. I need you to look out for them. I need you to hold their hand. You're there to guide them. You're a second mom. You know, when I think about my colleagues who work in student affairs and in higher education, it's a lot of that. And that's not fair, right? Like, I'm not your mom. I'm not your auntie. You know, shout out to Maxine Waters. I am not your auntie. Um, You know what I'm saying? Like, I you know, I'm a professional. I am a professional. I have a professional job. I'm doing professional work. Um, and I, right. You, like you said, Marcy, we may build rapport. We may build a connection. We may, um, we may become close, right. Um, you know, outside of this professional relationship, we may be friends, but inside of the professional relationship, it's a professional relationship. And I think that holding everybody accountable to said professional relationship is key. Um, and I think when we don't do that, then the expectations shift and the expectations get skewed. And now you mad because they didn't call you back when the relationship is built on a scheduled meeting, right? And, um, you know, like even when Randall was in the car and he was like, oh, called her out the blue. And I was just like, you could just call your therapist. I'm like, I have not been getting highly served, obviously. Ashley, Ashley, oh my gosh. Like I have so many problems. Okay, really quick, and then I'm not going to rant about this anymore. Don't you ever just up and call your therapist and expect them to answer. Bell Dereese. And don't get me wrong, she may be running her own business like I get as an entrepreneur. Sometimes you are the only person there, but she basically was like, oh, I was, I was waiting for you to call. Girl, no. Oh, my gosh. That so cringy. Also, and this is my last part, I promise, white therapist have to be held accountable. I don't care if you go in and tell her that you want a Black therapist. She needs to be doing the work of saying, you know, I hear you. I want to support you in whatever you need to do. But can we just have a moment to process that? Can I get feedback so that I can know what I can be doing better to hold space for you to be able to talk about those things? She also should have just asked about George Floyd, as opposed to saying, is there anything you want to talk about? White therapists have to be held accountable. Black folks, it's not enough of us to do all of the work. 
So I absolutely hated that whole, I mean, I didn't like her from jump when she said that she Googled him. And so I was already turned off from like when she first went to see him. But girl, the ish, the incompetency when it comes to diversity issues amongst white therapists grates at my entire spirit. My apologies, but no, don't call your therapist and expect to talk to them anytime, all the time. Marcy, you have to share this with your colleagues in the therapy space because I feel like nobody's talking this real talk. And like, we're going to post this in all the therapy groups so you all can listen. Um, at, you know, I'm not a part of the profession, but I value your work and like more people need to hear boundaries and like standard expectations. Like these kinds of things matter because when when our professions are portrayed in the media one way and then we don't show up like that, then some people think something wrong with us. And nothing's wrong with me for like, you know, I had a student recently, you know, email me after talking to one of my staff members and they they want an exception to a policy and they want me to review it. And obviously, you know, my job as a senior director is to have, have escalated issues come to my desk, to review them, to provide feedback. But because I trust my staff, because I know my staff is thorough, I rarely reverse their decisions. But because I guess you think, oh, if I just go up a couple steps, you know, go up to the supervisor, they'll let, they'll finger wag and let them know, no, that's not how it works in my office. And that's not how it works generally. And so I do think that these portrayals have people outside of real boundaries they have people outside of like real expectations and it's right sizing those expectations and it's right sizing those boundaries um will help real working people <laughs> uh feel like those portrayals actually are accurate and and you know what i think is true is that we have to like we have to be responsible. And by we, I mean like media producers. <laughs> I need y'all to be a little bit more responsible. Like it's not enough. Like we talk about representation mattering, but the type of representation and the way the representation lands matters too. And so, you know, again, we know it's for entertainment purposes, but we just have to be really careful with these representations um, and, and be a little bit more evolved, like, right? A little bit more um you know expedient with like where we are right now um and I love what you talked about Marcy in terms of like holding um like folks accountable right so like when black women in particular right like our professionals and you know you're let's say you are um you know, you're a black teacher, right? Like you're a K through 12 teacher and, um, you know, your white students are like, oh, she's going to be sassy. She's going to get them together. And you're like, girl, I'm not sassy. I'm very reserved. And I don't even do that. Right. Like, like we have to be culturally competent of what they might expect of us, but we need them to be culturally competent of what, of all the multitudes of us. And so, you know, like for a person, Marcy, like you, who's in a profession that's highly televised and high, and there's lots of perceptions right about it like what, what what advice would you give to your fellow therapists or anyone else in a profession that's highly um highly publicized or there's a lot of archetypes about I think about right the new I think it's a new Netflix special called a teacher or the teacher and it's about a teacher who um, sexually abused one of her students right so it's this hot teacher and it's this you know young boy and you know she's like seducing him and mind you this is ripped from the headlines it's a true story so it's not even an embellishment but then you got a teacher who happens to have a nice body and wear a tight skirt and now she has this terrible archetype about her so like what what do, what kind of advice can we give to black women in particular who are working in professions that have an archetype yeah, that is just so disappointing. Um, but I really firmly believe in setting clear boundaries. And when I say boundaries, I don't just mean like, don't answer the phone in the middle of the night when your client calls, but like, particularly in our profession, and I imagine that in a lot of professions, there's some kind of contract document written statement that talks about what the relationship is that you all are stepping into so like we have informed consent when you're doing work with with um, contractors you have a contract and so being very clear especially when it comes to things like communication um, social media presence like those kinds of engagements we talk about what happens if i see you out in public what happens to your private confidential information um I think that having those very intentional conversations with people that you have relationships with is really important. And then also kind of going back to what you were saying about people making these assumptions about who you're going to be is making sure that you're not um, subtly or unconsciously also carrying out 
those behaviors and characteristics. I think sometimes we internalize those stereotypes and we internalize a lot of the information that we see. And then that causes us to act not necessarily in a way that um, encourages the stereotype, but in a way that is not like us, it's not how we want to be. So just making sure that you are aware of what those are for you, what those triggers might be for you and being able to address them as they come up. So if you have someone that comes up to you like, oh, you're, I wanted to get them with you because you, I know you're going to be sassy with them and you're going to be direct and straightforward. You say, actually, no, I'm not. <laughs> that is not how I operate and questioning them about where they got those beliefs from. Like, what would make you think that about me based on what you know from me? The more you ask questions of people, I think it makes them interrogate a little bit more of where those stereotypes come from. So it's kind of a combination of doing the work for yourself and forcing them to do the work as well. And then, like we already said, like holding people accountable, holding other professionals accountable. Like I just joined this Facebook group about like, with business owners. And what I really appreciate about it is that there are some people who are really like, get your website together, get like, don't post these ugly raggedy pictures on there. Like people are holding on their necks holding them accountable, which I just really appreciate because sometimes I think that we we just do a bad job of holding each other accountable. And we're just like, we want to see Black women win so much. And of course, I want to see Black women win, but we also have to teach and we also have to guide and we also have to mentor. And I think that in a lot of ways, we've kind of moved away from that. So if you can mentor, if you can guide, if you can hold people accountable, definitely do that. Yeah. And we digress except for just don't get caught up like Molly did trying to mentor that girl. She let her know, no. So, <laughs> you know, make sure this person is looking for mentorship and is looking for support. Don't, don't be going around finger wagging, telling people how to do stuff and they ain't looking for your help. You know, um, mentorship is permission-based noted. Okay. And we digress. <laughs> Next up is all black everything. Marcy, what do you have for us this week? So this week in All Black Everything, I want to shout out two little teenage preteen kids that are out here doing amazing things. So one of them is a, the, the headline says, 12-year-old prodigy set to study aerospace engineering at Georgia Tech. First of all, can we just have a moment to talk about what is aerospace engineering? Are you out here building spaceships or something like that? That just sounds really fancy. So. Well, apparently a 12 year old is planning to go to Georgia Tech soon. Um, at only nine months, he had developed a command of sign language. At one, he had begun reading. So y'all got these brilliant kids out here doing these amazing things in the world before they even turn one year old. So I am super excited about this young man who will be joining the Georgia Tech family um, and I guess building our next set of spaceships so that we can leave this planet if we need to. And the other young person that we want to shout out today is 15 year old chess champion. Her name is Jessica Hyatt. Um, she is one of the top 10 black women chess players in the nation. And at 15 years old, she is very close to making history as the first black woman chess master and was recently awarded the Daniel Feinberg Success in Chess Award, a $40,000 scholarship. I used to play chess when I was younger and it's hard. <laughs> like, I'm just it's hard to do on a regular basis. It's really hard to do competitively. So I'm just super impressed and super proud of all of our Black babies who are just out here trying to change the world. We're working on getting them to the VP office, to the president office, building the spaceships, being chess champions, and everything else that we can think of. So if you have a little Black baby in your life, give them a kiss and a hug from us and tell them to go be the best that they can be. Including an aerospace engineer and a chess champion. We stand. Yep. <laughs> we stand. I love that. That's truly all Black everything, Marcy. Thanks for bringing that to us. And last up this week is TVT, and we're going to tie it back to um, our um, I Digress topic. So we talked about um, This Is Us, and Fall TV is back, baby. So we are so excited. We're going to die. We're going to start with um, This Is Us um, and just talk about some of the Fall TV that's happening right now. So um, we did a primer to this a couple episodes ago, I guess two weeks ago, Marcy. Um, we talked about, uh, you know, 
the cabin 40th birthday we're five years in now right we started th- we started this journey with the 35th birthday so we're five years in um and the family is going to the cabin um for the birthday and we are still in the midst of quarantine we're still in the midst of um, a pandemic on the show too which is i love and i love that they incorporate that um and it just takes us through the journey of where things are with this family um spoiler alert we're gonna get right into it so do not watch do not listen to this if you haven't watched because we will ruin things and i don't want to ruin it for you so cut it off go watch come back um so like you know randall is uh struggling (laughs) he um you know it's his birthday he is totally disengaged. Um, he is dejected. Nobody can have him in good spirits. Him and his brother got into a huge blow up. His brother said the worst thing that ever happened to them, him was the day he brought, uh, his parents brought him home. And, you know, things, things are, things are not good. Um, Beth is trying to spice up his life and give him a little surprise for his birthday. He ain't even having that. Um, Kevin is guest in quarantine with his quote unquote girlfriend. I don't even know what they're doing at this point. Um, uh, Madison, I think it's her name. Um, Kate's former friend and Kate and Toby are out at the protest. You know, they take in the baby and they doing the work apparently. Um, and they are like out here, um, you know, thinking about, you know, their next kid and, um, you know, what life looks like for them beyond um, their present child. So I don't know, what were your early takes in um, episodes one and two, which were a two-part episode, Marcy? It took me a minute to remember (laughs) what had happened last season and how we got here. So for a moment, I was just kind of recalling how everything played out but for the most part I was a little I don't know if it's a part of wanting to escape from what all we're going through right now but I really don't want to see them in quarantine like I appreciate it don't get me wrong I think it's kind of cool that they were able to pivot like that but I really didn't want (laughs) didn't want to see it and um, exist outside of the world that you presently live in (laughs) You're like, why are they talking about a pandemic? Why do they have masks on? They have injustices too in the streets? Like, you're mad. <laughs> I'm definitely like, wait, we in 2020? Like, how did, how did we get here? <laughs> so, um, I, it's, again, took me a minute to catch up. Took me a minute to, like, think about everything from the context of being in the middle of the same things that we're going through. But I appreciate what they did. I found myself just being so grateful for a show that actually pays attention to the detail and pays attention to the feelings. Like, yeah, I know I'm, I love black folks. And so the um, Randall family, they're my favorite family on the show. And to see them struggle through the racial injustice, to see them struggling through what to do about the protests, to hear Randall talk about juxtaposing what's happening today with what happened during his childhood and just the ways that people have responded or have not responded. I was just so grateful for that. And even being able to watch the dynamics of him and his family and how he talks to Kate and tries to hold her accountable and and that very honest feedback of like, this isn't the first time that this has happened. You haven't done anything. Kevin's complete obliviousness to it. Um, just thinking about like the dynamics of white male privilege, of rich white male privilege. I just think they did an excellent job with that. And then not to mention just watching Rebecca struggle through Alzheimer's and watching them struggle with the black magical Negro not being there to take care of them in the way that they are so accustomed to doing. So just all of those dysfunctional family dynamics showing up and playing out and functional family dynamics showing up and playing out. And then 
the conversation of adoption, but also like this interesting dynamic between Kevin and Madison, um, which I really appreciate. We'll talk about episode two next, but I really appreciate them bringing in some of her history. I just think This Is Us does a really good job of um, bringing in real life things and tapping into those real life emotions. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Marcy. Like one of the things that I think they did well, and I did really like this in terms of details, is how melancholy um, Randall was throughout the the episode, right? Like he was very melancholy, very emotionalist, like uh, emotionless, not giving anybody too much. And I think that that is where Black people often are when it comes to issues of race race and injustice. It's like, I actually don't have a lot to give. I can't even get excited for you, sis. I can't even like do too much. Is everything okay? Cool, mom, all right, all right, goodbye. And even when Kate, you know, she started with the crying and the tears and da, da, da. Okay, girl, I mean, okay. Yep, and what are you sorry for? What are you sorry about? Okay, you don't know? All right, well, figure it out. Good luck, love you too, bye. Like, I don't really have a lot for you. And I really, I don't have a lot of for you is my favorite energy because it's like, like you already know. Like, I don't have a lot for you. And then Kevin, like you said, just the complete, oh, the complete just lack of awareness, bro. It's like so bad. And it's like, yeah, it's a girl and a boy. And I know about raising a girl. He was like, yeah, I gotta go, so... And like you, like, and, and even if it wasn't about race, right? So my thing is like, even if you didn't realize the racial injustice that's happened in this country and how am I being impacted by that? The fact that you know I'm mad at you and you trying to like key key with me is like, I'm not sure. Like, are we not gonna address the issue? And honestly, Randall's like um, complicit too because he basically said his brother was a fraud and a fake and ain't really nobody. And you talk real crazy about that man. So, but like, I feel like Randall should have been like, hey, we have problems and I really can't kiki with you about your new life experiences until we resolve that. And I feel like like um, his brother, like his lack of like awareness about what's going on in the world and the fact that you're trying to kiki with me about your pending whatever it is and like relationship, baby, mama, I don't even know. And this stuff is not helpful. So I thought that that was that was really good. The melancholy um, that he was, he was experiencing, I thought was powerful. And then I think one of the things I did not like about those first two episodes, however, was like, um, I, I really hated the tie back to um, uh, when um, Kevin was in the hospital and old girl, when she fell on the suitcase and the babies and he's just like, trust me, trust me. Like, that's not how life works. You, me trusting you not going to mean that everything's okay. Um, we're going to talk about trusting the process in a future episode. And, and that was bringing up a lot for me. Cause I'm like, actually, I don't trust the process. I could die. These babies could die. Things could go bad. You being fine and leaning into me and telling you me to trust you is not helpful. Where are the facts? I don't know. I just was like, this is stressing me out. I'm like that. Um, and Marcy, I think you hit the nail on the head with the black magical Negro. I hadn't really thought about it like that, but yeah, like they absolutely rely on him to, um, like make everything okay with their parents, their mom specifically, but then also resent him for doing it. They resent him for being magical. And then when, when, when he didn't get mad that they didn't do things right, they're like, oh, well, we want you to know we did everything we could. We watched her. Like, you don't got, like, you're not accountable to me. I'm not your father. Like, whatever. So that was, that was just a lot there. I still can't stand Miguel. He's, I don't, I mean, you're not helpful as a husband. You know nothing. You add no value. Um, Toby is better at this. Toby is a better husband. Like, I don't know. Miguel is like, I don't know why he's there. He can go. Um, so let's go into episode two, Changes. Well, wait, before we go into episode two, I feel like the biggest thing that we haven't talked about is flashbacks to Randall's mom and father and the weaving of that storyline into the first two episodes. So let's talk about it. And thank you so much, Marcy, because I completely forgot that was the biggest, you know, biggest um, flashback, the biggest point of the, the first two episodes. She opened her eyes. She opened her eyes her infant child, newborn and boyfriend are gone. Two paramedics are there. Like when she opened her eyes, Marcy, like what was your reaction? 
I was like, what? Y'all been hiding Randall's mom from us this whole time? Like, what are we on? Season seven or something? I don't know. But we haven't seen her this whole time. And where is she? And how is she going to tie in? And so all of those thoughts ran through my mind. I legit thought that Randall's mom was dead this whole time. Yeah, same. I was so confused, though. And I I talked to you about this in a text after the show um, because... He goes to the cabin. Mom is like his his mother, his um, white mother is like waking up from an Alzheimer's nap or whatever. <laughs> she's trying to like regain her composure. And she's like, I saw your father. I thought it was him, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. Again, with the melancholy. Um, and she says something like, is this because of the custody battle? Or is this because... Or whatever and that was news to me that was new to me and I was I was like did I hear that correctly like I wasn't even sure if I was processing processing it right so is that what happened Marcy did she say something about a custody battle I think she said something about court I don't think that she okay. said the words custody battle but and even I told you this in the message that completely went over my head I thought that she was just rambling and when he didn't respond then you know Randall responds to everything so maybe it was just the melancholy that you're talking about but when he didn't respond I was just like oh well she must just be talking outside her neck but now that we see that the mom is alive who knows they probably did have some kind of custody battle or went to court over it so ooh, the tea yeah and I'm interested to see how that plays out like was it was the father MIA like could they not find him and then the mom was like oh these people have my kid and then where does this person from the fire station come in did they conceal information um and i'm confused about how old randall actually is because didn't he say like is it even my birthday i don't even know if it's my birthday right because it's it's like because he was like how could all of these or i don't know if it was him or somebody was like how could all of these things have happened in that same day i think it was him like he because and then when we look at the flashbacks right the flashback said he was born mom was struggling she slept through the night she asked for a little help father gave her little help she od'd she wasn't gonna make it he runs so that's not actually his birthday we don't know how many days but it wasn't actually his birthday he wasn't born that day so they like they lied to him about his entire life and all and so many aspects of it so just like so, so much, so thirsty uh, and excited for the rest of the season. So we can just like get back to this backstory and who this mom is and how she was fighting for her child and how many other siblings he has. And I just, I mean, right? So much. Yeah. And I think that in episode two, so the transition into changes, those, look, they always introduce these new characters. So the Vietnamese family, the grandfather and the granddaughter, the picture at the end was of him and a black woman. So is that Randall's mom? Right. Yes. That's what I was thinking. Like, who is this black lady? And it must be his mother, right? Like it must be like, I don't, there are no other black people in the show. Um, so like, it must be his mother. And so then did she like, did she move to Vietnam? Did she like, like what is, yeah. Like there's just so much unknown. Yeah, and I just can't, I don't know. I think the struggle for me, which is why, as you talked about the court case, became more um, relevant, is that I could not see Randall's mom just giving up, giving him up and just being like, oh, well, he's with this nice white family now. We're just going to let him stay there. I can't see that being her narrative. And so I just wonder how much like, force there was that was involved that made her have to leave Randall alone all of these years right and like how much Rebecca and her husband like did to like keep everything away and then I think about Rebecca and her father and the resources that they that family had and did that play a part but then I also remember that Randall's father talked about like oh your mother died blah 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 blah, blah. like you know so like did he not know is he lying too and then it's also just too many people dead now. I need everybody to come back to life so we can have a big family conversation. All of y'all died a little too early for me to get the information that I need to be able to process this appropriately. I don't like it. I need everybody to stay alive. 
This is not appropriate. So yeah. And speaking of dying, um, you know, we like, um, like in, in episode two, like, you know, um, uh, what is her name? Um, Kevin's baby mama talks about being near death with her bulimia and, and navigating her, um, her eating disorder. And then Kevin talks about his body image issues. And I, I didn't really feel like, I wasn't like, how did Kevin get to body image issues from his dad having him lift weights in ninth grade? Like that felt like a jump for me, but I was like, okay, I guess. Um, and like daddy issues, I'm not sure which ones. Um, not saying that, you know, he was perfect, but I don't think, I, I didn't, there was no sense of abuse or, I don't know. I don't know. I, I want to like see that explored a little bit more, but um, I do think I worry about trauma tying them together and what that means for these twin children that are to be born. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I don't necessarily always believe in the idea that trauma is passed on. I definitely think it's possible. I definitely believe in generational trauma and historical trauma. But what I am more concerned about them with passing on their trauma is that they haven't really healed from their trauma. Like Kevin is just out of a substance use disorder. Madison ain't quite out of recovery of her eating disorder. So I struggle with them not being in treatment and not necessarily getting the help that they need and kind of having these struggles, but trying to manage them on their own and then trying to parent children when they're both not ready to necessarily be parents. So all of those dynamics, I think, impact how they are going to raise these children in the world. Um, and so on that side, you have them. And then on the other side, you have Toby and um, Kate, which I just really appreciate them. Like they are such a great couple. And I know that they've had their challenges and I'm still concerned about these future um, flash forwards that they've been offering. But in terms of just how they navigate stresses and struggles and parenting and marriage, I just really appreciate seeing them, um, seeing them on the screen, especially with her being in a larger body, because oftentimes when we're talking about portrayals of happiness and portrayals of what we see in the media, larger women, women in larger bodies often are portrayed as being like unhappy and miserable and their husbands are cheating on them or they're like with some slob of the earth or something ridiculous. And so to see her like flourishing and having these wonderful experiences in life and having these excellent relationships, I just really appreciate, um, I appreciate that portrayal a lot. Yeah, I agree. I love that. And I love, I love that you picked up on that. Um, I do love that. And I, you know, I'm excited for more Randall family um, in episode four because we missed them in episode two, right? They just kind of, they weren't there with us, so. Oh, wait, um, Beth and Randall? Oh, yes, that's right. Tess. Do you remember Tess? <laughs> yes, okay. I completely, because like, I was like, I feel like we didn't get a lot of them. But so here's my thing about what Tess did. I actually didn't think it was that big of a deal. I mean, I just feel like they were like, you did, what you did was wrong. I mean, did she, did she use any profanity? What did she do? Like, she didn't curse. So, no. The funny thing is, Hubby looked over at me and was like, you wouldn't have thought that she did anything wrong, did you? And I was like, absolutely not. And then I probably would have sued the school if y'all were trying to come for my kid. You I touched did my like, child there? That, that's, that's assault and you're going to prison. That's just all I'm saying. Don't <laughs> touch my child in any way, shape, or form. Her hair, her shoulder any of them, just don't touch her. Um, I did not like that she said, screw you. I know that's not a curse word, but still, like you could have said, she could have said everything else before that and just left off the screw you. And I would have been perfectly fine with it. Yeah, I just didn't feel like it was that big of a deal. Like Beth was like, I can't believe her. She can't talk like that. I was like, I mean, she was a little, she was kind of doing a lot in the video. You, you look kind of crazy. I mean, you just doing the most in the video, but like you didn't cuss, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't, you know, have a gun for when, I mean, like you just was, 
like they wrong and they were and you said you escalated now yes you should have brought it to me but you're a preteen and I understand that and I just would have tried to build trust with you I want to put you on punch I would have tried to build trust like let's build some more trust because obviously you didn't bring this to me and I need to be the first person you bring things to so that I would have been trying to build trust I don't know about punishment because I mean you know I could see punishment but when Jake said six weeks I was like well golly Right, girl. I, and then there was like no phone, no internet. I'm like, girl, now you got to quit playing with me. What you want me to do besides play on the internet? You don't want me to do nothing besides play on the internet, girl. Stop it. So, yeah. And so I'm like, mm, I ain't like all that. But I'm glad that Tess is finding community, you know, with her friend um, and, you know, pushing boundaries a little bit and talk about the patriarchy. And listen, let's get into it. When she said that line about... um. Yeah, I was like, yes, little sis, we we love to see it. So, so yeah, I'm excited. Any other flash forwards, flashbacks, present tense that we need to talk about from This Is Us for the last two episodes? Not that I can think of. I think we hit all of the important topics. I would just say that, again, going back to the test conversation, I just appreciate that because it talks a lot about the generation that we're raising compared to the like traditional old school generation and just the ways that we view protests and the ways that we view activism and the ways that we view speaking out and how different that is. And I just think that anyone who has a child and is really thinking about how to make their children socially conscious and how not to like mute their flame, but also how to raise responsible children and just seeing them do that again. And then, oh, I love Beth and Randall because when she was like, we are a team and I don't care how you feel about it right now, but you're going to go up there and you're going to speak on behalf of both of us and the ways that they come together. Beth and Randall, if y'all ain't never had relationship goals, I don't know. Y'all are sleeping if it ain't Beth and Randall. Listen, yeah, they 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 do it well. And I do, she be holding him accountable though. She don't never let him, like, and I just love that. Like even in the first episode when she was just like, um, you know, she talked about the highs and the lows and the valleys and like, you know, you know, onward to the next day. And, you know, she just has really good analogies, but she never lets him shrink. Like she always holds him accountable. And I love that. Um, that's definitely a model that I like seek to hold my partner accountable for showing up for me, for showing up for our family, for showing up for themselves. Like that level of accountability is something she does well. Her character does well. And I just love that. Um, Yes, oh, so good. And we're looking forward to it. Chicago is back. So definitely watch that. There's a new show on NBC called Transplant that I'm a big fan of. So check that out. Um, um, Superstore is back. And Amy and that boy is at odds. And I am so mad at Amy. She's being so raggedy. So raggedy. I can't, I don't even know. Like, and I feel as a woman and as a feminist and as a career development professional, I feel so bad for saying all of these things, but I just don't like, I don't like how she moving, but like she raggedy and I don't like how she moving. And so I just posted, um, recently on Instagram about, um, the shows. And so go and watch it and let's just chit chat in the comments because like, I just feel like she being raggedy and I don't like it. Um, so yeah, like watch this fall TV is so much good stuff on, um, good doctor is back. Um, uh all rise is back next week on monday like if you aren't watching that like a black female judge you're missing out you gotta watch it it's so good um so just get into the fall tv and if you have anything you want us to talk about you can email us at um hello at schoolandlifepod.com that's h-e-l-l-o at schoolandlifepod.com i check that email regularly and if you have questions for us things you want us to discuss and i digress or your tv you want to talk to us about do email us um we're here and ready to listen um we cannot wait to talk to you next week school's out slash business